We'll read again from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 13. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be, that the dead rise not. Verse 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. And they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Apostle Paul here was giving us a very grim and hopeless picture of what life would be like if Christ had not risen from the dead. He said your preaching would be in vain. The good news of the gospel, the message that Jesus saves would be nothing but empty words. The Word of God would be null and void. The promises would be of no effect if Christ hadn't risen from the dead. He said, moreover, uh, we would be found false witnesses. Those who claimed to have a relationship with the risen Savior, if Christ weren't risen, they would be false witnesses. He says, your faith is vain. You know, your faith is only as good as the object in which it's placed. Nobody would place their faith in a dead Messiah if Christ be not risen. And then verse 18 there says, Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished, or those that died in the faith, believing that they would see the Lord, their risen Savior. If it weren't for the resurrection, their faith would be hopeless. You know, I was thinking the other day, uh, in the time that my family and I have been here, we've been here just about a year and seven months. And in that short period of time, I've officiated 13 funeral services. Churches actually had 15 funerals. Out of those 15, I've officiated 13 of those funeral services. I can say I'm thankful that all of those were saints of God. Many of them were older saints. They had been faithful many years well advanced in years. A good share of those folks were in their 90s. We even had two that were over 100 years of age. But one thing they had in common, they had this desire and this longing and this hope that one day very soon they were going to be with their Savior. I was thinking of the last funeral service we actually did for Sister Hazel. And just a, a few days before she passed away, I remember sitting in her living room with her, having a conversation with her. She had actually fallen, so a couple of the ministers and myself, we were able to help her up in her chair, and as we prayed for her, she thanked us for praying, and I'll never forget what she said afterwards. She said, I hope you didn't ask the Lord to heal me. She says, because I want to go to heaven. That was the longing in her heart. You know, without the resurrection, their faith would be in vain, but you know, I'm thankful Verse 20 changes everything. It says, But now is Christ risen from the dead. So thankful we serve a risen Savior. Jesus Christ is alive today. Acts 1.3 tells us this. It says, He showed Himself alive after His passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days. 
You know, the Lord validated His resurrection with many infallible proofs. Probably the greatest evidence of all is uh, in the accounts of those eyewitness testimonies, those that saw personally the risen Christ after He had died and been buried and He was risen again and He appeared to them. Paul tells us here again in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5, he says, He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. Cephas is also Peter, then of the twelve. Uh, Christ appeared to all of them personally. You know, these men, all twelve of these disciples, they had two things in common. They had all seen the same thing. You could have put any one of them on a, on the witness stand, and their testimonies would completely agree. They had seen the risen Christ. They were also willing to give their very lives for that testimony. They were willing to die for the testimony that, yes, Christ is risen, just as He said. You might wonder what would cause those men to be able to stare down death without any fear. Well, they realized they were serving a risen Christ. Death had been conquered. Death had been defeated. They had no fear of death because they had seen the risen Christ. Paul goes on to say, after that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. You think about the impact that the resurrection had on the apostle Paul personally. Think about the kind of man he was before he had met that risen Savior, Saul of Tarsus. He said that he went about breathing out slaughtering and threatening against the church of God. He he wanted to stamp out the very message of the resurrection. He said he did that in ignorance, in unbelief. But that all changed that moment when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and the Lord sent that blinding light and spoke spoke to him from out of heaven. He says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It's hard to kick against the pricks. You know, the whole course of Paul's life changed in that moment. He had come in contact with the risen Christ. What would make a man uh, who was so adamant about stamping out the very name of Christianity, yet he was willing to die for that very message that he once tried to stamp out? It was because he had seen the risen Christ. You know, there's no greater evidence than when a person comes in contact with the risen Savior. That is the greatest proof of all. Thought of another testimony, Brother Walt Smith. He said how many years he was one of the biggest fools of all. He was a professed atheist. Didn't even believe in God. Certainly didn't believe in the resurrection. But he said many years Many years ago, while trimming lumber in a sawmill, he said, God spoke to my heart. God spoke to him above the scream of that machinery, and he said, the only true happiness is in the Lord. I knew then and there there was a living God. The minute Jesus spoke to my heart, I walked over to a fellow worker I had known for years. I said, there is a God. He didn't laugh. He seemed to realize something really had happened to me. I went to my father's home and I told him I've had a visit from the Lord. He said he didn't know what else to say. Of course, his father thought he'd lost his mind, tried to talk him out of it, but he knew what he'd experienced. He said he did more than just uh, realize it. He looked into the matter. He said the very next Sunday, Sunday morning, found me sitting in the back of an apostolic faith church. 
said, I had had my own way for years. I thought I was hard and tough. But that morning, the Spirit of the living God came and softened this heart of mine. Tears rolled down my cheeks, and that gave me hope. I went to the altar and prayed. I asked God for mercy, the very God I had denied for years, to have mercy on me, and He did. He saved me and transformed me in a moment of time. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. He says, instantly, I was transformed into a Bible Christian. That's what the power of the resurrection does. That's what it can do in every individual life. It's the greatest evidence of all is that transforming power of Christ. What does the resurrection mean to the world? Well, we know because of that, because Jesus died and rose again, God's perfect plan of salvation was complete. We look in 1 Peter, excuse me, uh, 1 Corinthians again, verses 3 and 4, it says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. We know the sting of death is sin. Christ conquered both sin and death. When he died and rose again, do you know Christ's death and burial alone wasn't enough to save us from our sins? He had to rise again. That made that plan of salvation complete. If Christ be not raised, you're yet dead in your sins. But thank God, Christ is risen just as he said. Romans 4.25 says that he was delivered or crucified for our offenses, yet raised for our justification so we can see God's plan of salvation was complete. Christ's resurrection was proof that God had accepted that sacrifice for sins. What does the resurrection mean to God? Well, we know because of that, God's demands for justice were satisfied. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us unto God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Because God is righteous and holy and perfect and just, he can't just pardon sin. He can't just overlook it. A penalty had to be paid. But that penalty was paid for through Christ, through His blood. And when He uh, arose, it says we were justified at that point. So we can see uh, God's demand for justice was satisfied. You know, the Lord just can't pardon the guilty. Uh, he would compromise His holiness. So we know that penalty had to be paid. Thank God it was through Christ. What does the resurrection mean to the believer? Well, we know the Word of God tells us it's the hope of eternal life. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If you've been saved, you've already experienced a little of that resurrection power. Ephesians 2, verse 1 says, And you hath he quickened. That means to be brought back to life. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And He quickened us together with Christ and raised us up together so we can see that transforming power when the Lord saves somebody. Most important of all, the resurrection represents a future hope for every believer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 
Verse 14, it says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. What a blessed hope for every believer. We know too, the Word of God lets us know that the when the physical body dies, the spirit departs. You know, the soul does not sleep in the grave with the body. Scripture indicates that very clearly in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, Paul speaks about being absent from the body, yet present with the Lord. We read the account in Luke chapter 16. It's the account of the rich man and Lazarus. I've heard that described or introduced as a parable, but the Lord didn't say it was a parable. This was an actual account. This happened. It told about the rich man and Lazarus. It said uh, that they both died and were buried. And then it said in hell, the rich man lifted up his eyes, being in torments. And yet we see Lazarus being carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. So we can see there's a destination. The soul goes someplace immediately after the death of the physical body place of comfort and bliss for those that are godly and a place of torment for the wicked. We have the account of Jesus as he was crucified between those two thieves and the one turned to him and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. So we see uh, the soul immediately departs. But on that resurrection day, that will be the day when the soul and the body are reunited Every individual who was ever born will one day be resurrected. The Word of God says some will be to honor and glory. Others will be to everlasting shame and contempt. The Word of God tells us about two different resurrections. Luke 14, 14 describes the first one. We refer to that as the first resurrection or the resurrection of the just. We know that takes place at the rapture of the church. When the Lord returns for his bride, it says that at that point, those saints will receive their glorified bodies. Like That's what we read in 1 Thessalonians. And then we'll be caught up to join them in the air. That's the first resurrection. That's what we want to be a part of. John 5.29 speaks about the other resurrection. He refers to that as the resurrection of damnation. It's referred to as the second death. We know that that takes place after the millennial reign. It says the wicked dead will be raised at that time to stand before the great white throne of judgment. It says that the dead will give up, uh, the sea will give up the dead, both small and great, to stand before God and judgment will be pronounced. We don't want to be a part of that second resurrection. The Bible says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in that first resurrection, for upon them the second death hath no power. You can be a part of that first resurrection. Today, you can be saved. You can be ready to meet the Lord. That's the hope of every Christian. Of course, we know there can't be a resurrection without a death. 
Resurrections aren't for things that are living. They're things are for thing. It's for uh, those things that are dead. The Apostle Paul certainly understood this. Said he was willing to suffer the loss of many things. Said he died daily. He pressed toward the mark. He kept his body under subjection. Why did he do these things? He said that he might be counted worthy to attain unto that first resurrection. So we realize. There can't be a resurrection without a death. But you know, it's been said that the man that is born twice only has to die once. The man that's born once will die twice. But Jesus told Nicodemus, he must be born again. But we can be a part of that first resurrection. You know, the good news is Jesus Christ specializes in bringing dead things to life. We'll close by considering the account in John, the 11th chapter. This is the account of Jesus as he raised Lazarus. And of course, this was an actual bodily resurrection, but there's many spiritual parallels that we can draw from this account. Of course, the first thing we realize, I just mentioned the fact that uh, Lazarus had to die before he could be resurrected. Verse 14 of the 11th chapter says, Jesus spoke plainly unto them and said, Lazarus is dead. So we recognize, again, we must die in order for there to be a resurrection. Spiritually, we have to die to that old life of sin. That old man has to be crucified and buried. But that way, Christ can raise us in newness of life. We recognize from this account, too, Christ's resurrection power is never limited by our circumstances. You know, so often when people give up, that's when Christ shows up. Jesus told them there, I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there to the intent that you might believe. Jesus is always on time. There's no problem too big that the Lord's power can't handle it. You know, they'd given up hope. Mary and Martha, they said, Lord, if you'd only been here sooner, our brother wouldn't have died, but now it's too late. But you know, Christ was, uh, think of that song, four days late yet still on time. There's nothing that can go beyond the power of Christ's resurrection. Christ is always on time. We know that we can trust the Lord. It says with God, all things are possible. We realize too that there's some effort demanded on our part. When Jesus told them to Take him to the place where they laid the Lord, or where they laid Lazarus, and he got there, and there was a big uh, stone in the way. Verse 39, he spoke to them, he said, Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. You know, couldn't the one that had power to raise the dead, couldn't this man, and even they said that could heal the uh, eyes of the blind, uh, couldn't he simply have rolled that stone away with a flick of his finger, with a, uh, just a word, he could have rolled that stone away. But you know what? He chose to let them do that. There was a part there for them to do. They had to exercise some faith. You know, Jesus will never go where he's not invited. Christ will never enter a place where he's not invited, where he's not welcome. The Lord stands outside of people's doors, the door of their heart, and he knocks. He wants to get in. The Lord wants to transform lives. But we have to get the stone out of the way. Maybe that stone is doubt or unbelief, bitterness, whatever it is. You know, that's up to you to roll that stone out of the way. But you know, once you do that, 
You put yourself in a wonderful place. Once you're in that place where the Lord can work, nothing can stop the Lord from getting in and doing what He needs to do. You know, I think about verse 44 there. It says, After they rolled the stone away, Christ said, Lazarus, come forth. They said, And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus came forth. You know, nothing can hold back that resurrection power. But the beautiful thing about this account, you know, the Lord not only does He deliver, but He sets people free. He said, cut away those old grave clothes. When the Lord delivers a person from sin, He doesn't leave them bound, but He sets them free. Best news of all is you can experience that resurrection power in your own life this morning. If you're in an unsaved condition, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You can simply believe in Jesus, open your heart to the Lord. This morning God can come in and transform your life. You know, you don't have to be in church or even at an altar of prayer to receive the Lord. Sometimes circumstances are beyond our control. Lazarus wasn't in a place where he could go to the Lord, but Jesus could come to where Lazarus was. We're facing circumstances beyond our control. Even though you can't be in church, you know what? Jesus could come to where you are this morning. If you're willing to open your heart to the Lord, let Him in. God can come in, transform your life. He can give you that hope of eternal life to come. Christ is risen just as He said. So thankful for that. May God bless you on this Easter Sunday morning.